This is Ronnie Ann Ryan, intuitive coach, and welcome to the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast. In this show, we'll talk about mystical methods, spiritual practices, and magic to grow spiritually, live well, and maybe find love. Open your heart, expand your mind, connect with spirit, and embrace the magic that is all around you. To learn more about intuitive coaching with me or a past life reading, please visit breatheloveandmagic.com. If you enjoy the show, please rate it or write a review and subscribe and share it with a friend. May good fortune come to all those who listen to the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast. And now, on with the show! On today's episode of the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast, I'm speaking with John David Lada. Terrified and stalked by an oppressive fear of death, John was a single dad with two children facing rock-bottom loneliness and bankruptcy. Hard work, arguments, and logic were getting him nowhere. The competition was tough, and he was just in over his head. In his new book, The Synchronicity of Love, John shares his extraordinary stories of what happened when, while at rock bottom, he threw himself into unconditional love with sincerity and earnestness. His stories about his journey inspire, uplift, heal, shock, awaken, and transform. Welcome, John. Thank you so much, Ronnie. Appreciate the invitation. I'm happy to be here. First of all, I'm a huge fan of synchronicities. To me, one of the most magical things there is on the planet is synchronicity. You know, when things start coming together or you see something time after time after time and how does that all work that it flows together? Oh, I love that. So tell me about some synchronicities that you attracted. Yeah, I'll just tell you with the very first one. So when I was at rock bottom and everything was falling apart in my life all at once, everything, I signed up for my first ever spiritual retreat. And I'd been a devoutly anti-spiritual, anti-religious person for about 30 years. Okay. And so this was a huge leap for me. And uh, I chose a guy that uh, ironically, Michael Creighton, the author, had seen the same retreat leader 20 years earlier. Wow. I loved reading about Michael Crichton's experiences there. Um, they're in Michael Crichton's book called Travels, one of his few nonfiction books. So I was elated that the guy was still teaching and it looked like the retreat was identical. The format was the same as what Michael Crichton had been through 20 years earlier. And Michael described him as a highly intelligent, somber medical man. And so I needed somebody that was sort of non-guru-like to, to feel safe. So I sign up and I fly down to Southern California because uh, the retreat is in the San Bernardino Mountains. Yeah. And I'm, just as the plane is touching down in the Ontario airport, I look over and the woman next to me is reading Brew's book, Joy's Way. We're the only two people on this plane of, I don't know what, 150 people. They're going to his retreat. We're sitting side by side. That is crazy. Well, and that's that was the beginning of a whole lifetime of crazy little synchronicities. You know, I didn't really see it as a sign at the time, but it was, it was beautifully orchestrated because I looked at her and was checking her out and I, are you going to this thing with Brew? Yeah, are you? Well, I'm really nervous. Me too. And so we're checking each other out. She was just this sweet grandmother from Kalispell, Montana. And wow. so you don't look weird. Well, you don't look weird either. Okay. And so <laughs> was, for the next 20 years of my life, I mean, up to present day, this has been, I totally agree with you. One of the great magical things is sometimes uh, synchronicity, it almost feels like your life is being orchestrated in a way that maybe you're not aware of. And if you can be in alignment with that orchestration, 
then the magic of synchronicity continues to happen over and over and over again. So my book has 119 short stories in it. They're all true stories. Most of them are stories of synchronicity. I sometimes get fascinated by this idea of manifestation. And I sometimes wonder if we're not manifesting things so much as actually putting ourselves in alignment with what's meant to happen. It's like we're manifesting things. That yeah. is what a lot of people talk about. You're putting yourself in the flow. Yeah. And that is the alignment. And that is why things keep coming together because you're magnetically drawing them in so that they're all lining up with your highest good. So, yeah. Yeah. So I talk to people about synchronicity. You know, there's some things I think that can aid it. One is just kind of working on healing your stuff, working on healing your triggers, but that's not what causes synchronicity. I think that's what allows you to be more in that flow. I'm going to call it the soul or your divine being, your divinity. The more you as an ego or personality put yourself in alignment with that, the more the synchronicity start to become commonplace. Miracles start to be commonplace. Coincidences start to happen over and over and over again. And so that's what I try to tell people is whatever that looks like for you. For some people that may be like, let Jesus take the wheel, maybe for a Christian or not my will, but thy will. There's some alignment that has to take place. And when it does, synchronicity starts to become more and more commonplace. Do you have suggestions on what can help? Like what have you found in your life that was most effective to help you gain more flow and be in that well, alignment? It sounds kind of crazy, but dream work helped me a lot. And, you know, Carl Jung talked about the more you can make the unconscious conscious, the more it feels like you're in alignment with life instead of just feeling like things are happening to you. I forget how he described it. You're not just fated to have things happen to you. You're more in alignment with it. And so I, I started dream work about a year after that retreat, joined a dream forum, started asking for dreams. Dreams are, they're sometimes difficult to understand because they tend to speak to us through symbol and myth and metaphor. It's not always direct and clear, but dreams are an insight into your unconscious. What's really going on inside you? What's really driving the bus? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> For sure. Well, it, yeah, they're both beautiful and horrifying sometimes. That's kind of what dream work is all about. The more you're kind of conscious of what's going on inside you, what's driving your bus, I think that's very helpful for synchronicities. And what I discovered as somebody who's been paying attention to my dreams for 20 years now is sometimes you'll see the same theme over and over again, and then a huge shift comes. Where that shift comes from, I'm not really sure, but something shifts in the dream world. If that happens, inevitably something begins to shift in my outer world as well. Wait a minute. If you're noticing patterns, hasn't it ever occurred to you what those patterns meant or were related to? At first, I kind of thought if you pay really close attention to your dreams, you don't need an astrology reading. It's like you're already getting insight into your patterns or the archetypes that are predominant in your life. The things that trigger you, the things that excite you, they're all right there. But dreams are so multifaceted. I think most people have what I would call a psychological dream. There's some dream themes that lots of people have, like showing up naked without your homework. <laughs> And, yeah. you know, in school or something like that. Yeah. Walking down the street with no clothes on when everybody's looking at you. I mean, yeah. these are kind of common themes. The more you pay attention to your dreams, it, you break into whole other realms. Uh, one of the chapters in my book I described, I called it the spectrum of dreams. And I think I came up with something like 10 or 15 different kinds of dreams. Um, Judith Orloff called, just broke it up into two general categories, psychic dreams and psychological dreams. 
And psychic dreams start to come through too. And that feels like guides or guidance. Some people might say angels or your higher wisdom is speaking to you. There's this sense of support and love and guidance that shows up periodically in dreams as well. And again, kind of helps keep me in alignment. Yeah. For example, I've gotten pretty good at understanding my dreams. Sometimes they're just wacky and I have no idea what's going on in there. But sometimes now it becomes clear. So I dreamt I was disappointed about something with my brother and uh, my feelings were hurt. So I had this dream that I was trying to talk to him and he was elusive. And then all of a sudden there were these demons who were pushing me around. And I woke up and I was really freaked out. And then it hit me immediately. Those demons, they're in my head because it's all the crap in my head thinking about my brother having judgments about him and whatever, because he didn't do it the way I wanted him to do it or he didn't do what I want him to do. Those were my inner demons. So I was cracking up at myself and I was so grateful that I got it right away and I didn't have to worry about demons pushing me around, you know? That's what I mean about, I think if you pay attention to your dreams over time, you can catch on. I totally agree. And that's a perfect example. And it's a beautiful conclusion because not everybody that dreams comes to that conclusion. I've seen people that, you know, suddenly it's their mantra to destroy the demons and the demons aren't in me, they're out there. And it's their whole life's work to try and take down the demons, not knowing they're of their own creation. Good so part of it, if you remember in the beginning, the little intro you talked about, I went down the path of unconditional love. And what that looked like for me was spending time in heart-centered meditation. And what I began to discover with dreams like that was, you know, it sounds kind of cliche and a lot of people talk about it nowadays, but uh, so much of the time what triggers us about somebody else's actions is something that's bugging us inside. And so you might've heard the saying in shadow work, they call it, you spot it, you've got it. Or they sometimes say, you know, if you point your finger like this, there's always three fingers pointing back. And so part of the work was to sit down and figure out what is it about my brother that just drives me crazy? And how is that a part of me? And to bring awareness and unconditional love seems to just soothe it and heal it. I tell a story in my book, true story. So uh, years ago, I went on a tour of sacred sites in England, and we got private sunrise ceremony at Stonehenge and nice. all sorts of really cool stuff. And I had some really amazing experiences, and I met amazing people from all over the world, but I couldn't stand our tour leader. I freaking hated her. She was this <laughs> six-foot-tall, mouthy, blustery, super self-centered Loved her conspiracy theories at the time. She was just, you know, George Bush is one of those reptilians, you know, and then we need to take down the patriarchy and conspiracy theories. Oh, dear. And I was just, I know. And I was like, I got this great trip in front of me, but I can't stand the one person who's leading it. And I admit she didn't fit my image of a leader of people taking their people to spiritual sites. So I had learned about this healing process, didn't really understand it completely. So I kind of made up my own little healing thing. England was having a once every hundred year heat wave where it was a hundred degrees every day and nothing in England has air conditioning. No. An eight hour time difference. So it wasn't like I was getting any sleep. So at night I placed my hands on my heart center and I tried to bring up this gal, uh, the tour leader in my mind's eye and tried to see myself as blustery, self-centered, mouthy, loves a good conspiracy theory and as if she were a part of me and I kept saying over and over again I'm sorry I love you please come home so instead of pushing her away it was more like I was inviting her in because if I was being really honest with myself I can be a little self-centered 
I like to kind of command the center of attention and talk a lot. I say I don't like conspiracy theories, but they're kind of seductive. They do suck me in once in a while. Sure. And I did that for a full hour and finally drifted off to sleep. And the next day, it was like this dramatic transformation. We were like best friends. We're throwing yeah. our arms around each other, hugging her instead of resisting her. Now I thought she was funny. You know, she was still cussing up a storm about the evils of George Bush and the patriarchy. But she started to soften too. And there was a point at which that she looked at me and pulled me aside candidly and said, you know, all the men that have ever come on my tours in the past have been either gay or conspiracy theorists, and you're neither one. And this is kind of new for me. Ah, isn't <laughs> so, that funny? I remembered there's a quote in the Bible where Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you really kind of, at least my understanding of that in that moment was so much of the time, because we all are involved in egos and identities and individuality. And part of that means I'm different from you. And you are different from me. But, you know, if you use it as a way to stay stuck or fight and not see that some of these things and other people are actually maybe unconscious aspects of yourself, it can create a lot of misery in your life. That was an amazing synchronistic experience. In some ways, I think I was meant to be with her that time. Well, that's very transformative story because you opened your heart to somebody you didn't like. Yeah. And you did a little ho opona pono, like you kind of, that's what it sounds like. You that's were. exactly right. I'm <laughs> yeah. kind of like, I think I read about this. I don't know how it works, but I'm just yeah. going to make it up and see if it works. So. Well, it sounds like you got pretty close. So ho opona pono yeah. is Hawaiian. Yeah. And this is how Hawaii kept as much peace as they did. And this was a practice that they did every night before going to sleep. And they, you know, they would say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. So for, yeah even for themselves and whatever people regret about themselves or whatever. It's an extremely powerful practice having a lot to do with forgiveness and love. So perfect. That's yeah. a perfect example of how well that can work. So awesome. Thank you. Congratulations for making that dramatic turnaround because I bet that helped the rest of your trip and chances are strong. It helped everybody else too, because when you can release some of that stuff in a way, everybody feels it. You're right. And that actually happened. And I, that is a chapter in my book. And that's one of my favorite chapters. And actually, in a weird way, on some level, because uh, I think every other person on that tour was a woman. And I remember one time, I know it sounds funny, we went and all meditated in the crop circle. And I couldn't, for some reason, wasn't able to sit still. And so I just kind of hummed a pleasant tune and circumambulated around the crop circle while all the women were meditating. They did it for about a half an hour. And they all came running up to me afterwards and said, thank you, thank you. We felt so much safer sitting out here in the middle of this crop circle with you walking around us. The very last thing we did was that sunrise ceremony at Stonehenge. And it kind of occurred to me that it wasn't easy what the tour leader was doing. There was a lot of crazy logistics. There was a lot of things being made up on the fly. Nobody was very happy because nothing had in England had air conditioning. Everybody was hot, tired, cranky. And so I went up to her and said, you know, thank you for organizing this trip. It must have taken a lot of courage to get all these people from all over the world and put them together and, and try and, you know, gather up to all these sacred sites. And they may or may not have spiritual experiences. And she teared up and looked at me and she said, thank you so much. You have no idea how much that means to me. I would never have guessed by the end of the trip, we'd be talking like that because I couldn't stand her at first. You know, I love this story so much. And I have lived that on a number of, of occasions. When I got out of business school, I did an internship for six months and then I went back and, you know, the next woman went. 
So she was in business school the same time as I was, and she took over my position. So then when I got, I ended up getting a job at the company, which was General Foods. And six months later, she did too. And honestly, I couldn't stand her, even though I'm having lunch with her after we record. So anyway, I realized she was coming in. I just didn't like anything about her. I felt like she was really overly confident and cocky and ugh. So I realized once I heard she was coming to be a part of this, you know, where I worked in our department, I thought you have two choices. You can be miserable and hate her, something I could already do, or uh-huh. you could figure out a way to be friends with her because that would be a heck of a lot better. And I don't know where I got that from, but I did it. And now 32 years later, we're having lunch. It's amazing what you can do and how you can shift. I mean, I don't know how I did that, but it did it. And sometimes it really just boils down to intention more than anything else. And that is a massively powerful way to create change in your life. So I'm glad you brought this up because that is an incredible thing to do when you're living on the spiritual path is to make those kind of shifts in perception. Basically, that's what it boils down to. I totally agree. And that was a beautiful story. I love that. You're right. It's all intention. You know, it's funny, I I think sometimes we create limitations for ourselves, but we're the ones that created it and and we can uncreate it too. And the limitation can be that person, excuse my French, an asshole. I can't stand that person. I need to get that person out of my life or I need to change that person or change the environment so I can tolerate that person. And that's how a lot of people do life. I admit I've done that before. Sure, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, a simple shift in intention and perspective and alignment, it can change everything. I, and I, I think as long as the intention is sincere, yes. if it's sort of like, well, I guess, you know. Yeah, no, that's but, different. Uh, I like to say sincerity is a, a really important aspect of intention. If it's really sincere, it can be shifted. Beautiful. So yeah. let's just talk a little bit about feminine energy versus masculine and balancing them because I know that's very important part of your spiritual journey. So just tell us briefly about that. I was your classic type A male. I've been in management since I was 18 years old. So I've been bossing people around my whole life <laughs> uh, in management uh, and then running my own company, CEO of my own company. And I'm, I'm kind of looking, I've made a little list before I talk here. So my, my normal MO was doing rather than being, taking action competitive, argumentative, talking, thinking, judging. That was how I usually was. When everything in my life fell apart, the same time that I went to that spiritual retreat, I had gone into therapy for the first time in my life. And the therapist quickly put me in a group. And in a blink of an eye, the group was pretty much always all women and two women therapists and me. And all of them seemed to know what my problem was, except for me. It was terrifying. You you are the bravest man. (laughs) I have come across in a long time because that would have scared the pants off of me uh, if I were a man. Oh my gosh. All right, keep going. Well, you get the idea. And so all of these things were happening at once. And even uh, Brew, who I went to the retreat with, could see that I had this whole other side of me that I'm going to loosely call feminine. And he kept saying, you need to embrace this. You, You know, it's going to augment you. It's not like you have to trade one for the other. The idea is to have them both at your disposal. And and he said, it's very practical. Ultimately, you're more resourceful in every situation. Another chapter in my book, two little funny stories about starting group therapy. I had just started to have dreams and I had my first little 
warning dream. And the dream was a bunch of women in my group were saying, hey, we're all gonna get together and peel some shrimp, but I'm worried about John. And I'm listening to this and said, why is peeling shrimp a problem? I love shrimp. And they said, well, peeling shrimp can be painful and messy. It can be difficult, painful and messy. Well, I didn't get what the message of the dream was, but later it kind of started to make sense. Like to peel a shrimp, you gotta pull that shell off. And so for the first year, I was happy to pull the shell off the women, but I did not want them pulling the shell off of me. Ooh, that's a good story. Very and, symbolic. Yeah. And it's so I think sometimes I'm generalizing, of course, the only time the average stereotypical male lets himself get vulnerable is over a few beers with some other guys. But to be vulnerable when you're not drinking in front of a bunch of women, oh my God, that was really hard. I bet. <laughs> Yeah. Another thing that happened very early on was, you know, I've been in management my whole life and I'm very good at, you know, strategy, planning, staying on task, getting things done, getting things done on time. And so I'm tucking my kids in bed. I have custody of my two kids. I'm divorced. Like I said, hanging by a thread financially. I tuck my daughter in, I race in, I'm tucking my son in and he's happily babbling about his day. And I want him to be quiet so I can turn off the light because I have things to do. Right. But then I remembered all the women kept saying, John, you're so good at doing try being. And I'm like, what the hell is being? So I just sat there on the edge of his bed and thought, well, maybe that means just like listening, you know, <laughs> what a I, just sat there, I just sat there and listened without trying to rush my son or anything, just listened. And about 30 seconds later, I was overwhelmed with this feeling of love. Like I've never felt in my life. Where the hell did that come from? And I remember being in love with my son like I'd never been before. I remember loving his excited babbling and sort of thinking it was annoying. And I went back to my group a lot more humble, like, wow, maybe these women all know something that I don't. <laughs> that was a major epiphany. Holy moly, that's incredible. That yeah. is a fantastic story. Yeah. What are you doing now? You work with clients or what are you up to? Well, so I, I had a large multi-million dollar consumer products company, which I feel blessed beyond belief that I sold right before COVID hit. Yeah. Lucky on that one. Good timing. Uh, yeah, it was great timing. And so I've been quote unquote retired for the last, you know, little over two years now. I wrote a book, uh, The Synchronicity of Love came out, I think April 1st, which I love. I think is really funny because I sometimes think I've been walking the path of the fool for the last 20 years. <laughs> stumbling well, that's into all sorts of stuff. <laughs> that's a tarot reference if I ever heard one. Yeah. And so um, at the moment, I, I'm playing book marketer. So um, that's what's going on right now. So I'm doing podcasts like I am with you and working with my publisher to try and get the book and get myself out there. This is also an exercise in vulnerability, but that seems to be my journey the last 20 years. And uh, yeah, it's funny when you put yourself out there with a book and you put yourself out there as talking about your experiences, some people call it uh, the vulnerability hangover. And I am subject to that periodically too. Yeah, you know, I think that's really an interesting point when it sounds to me like your goal is to share these stories to inspire other people so yeah. they can see how they can make these changes as well. <laughs> that I could see how, a constant diet of peeling the shell off the shrimp. <laughs> you know, it's like everybody likes shrimp, but sometimes you really want to eat a hamburger, you know? <laughs> it's 
so yeah, I, I can see what that would be like. And I, I've had psychic hang hangovers. I can tell you that because when, the first time I worked at a psychic fair, I did 22 readings and I had a two day hangover and it literally felt like an alcohol hangover. I was exhausted. I had, <laughs> so there's a lot of kind of hangovers you can get out there. <laughs> oh, I totally kind of agree. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest benefit having sold your company, written this book, and really kind of brought together all of the dramatic shifts and changes in your life? What's the biggest benefit that has come out of all of that? Well, at a purely practical level, I, I think everybody has a story to write, a book to write. And it's it's kind of cool when you summarize it, put it all together and put it on paper and it's all published. There's a what I would call integration takes place. And I've had so many wacky, wild spiritual experiences that I think to this day, I'm still learning to integrate a lot of them. Uh, but the act of writing the book and putting it all together is very helpful. My wife, ironically, is a life coach and has been doing it for 13 years and she's really successful. And I, I see she loves to learn new things and then she loves to apply them to her clients. And in that way, she's not only helping her clients, but she helps integrate all this new material herself. And so you might say, I'm doing the same thing, except it's mostly coming from inner experiences rather than outer experiences. Gotcha. So, uh, and I, in, in a way too, it feels like service to me. So everybody learns differently. And actually one of my favorite ways to learn is from other people's true stories. I want to know who are you? What were you going through in your life? You know, what happened to cause these experiences if anything and how did you change because of them and so two of my favorite books are Michael Crichton's Travels I think he only wrote two nonfiction books but that's essentially his autobiography and Judith Orloff's book Second Sight and so it was my way of giving back I find that sometimes when people share a true story and it's presented I when I wrote my book I tried to write the stories in present tense instead of me looking back each one was like so I could, to the best of my ability, help the reader live it the way I was living it. Yeah. And so it's one thing to read the words. It's another thing for somebody's story to sort of induct you into that energy field, you might say, that level of consciousness, that level of understanding. That was my attempt in writing the book the way I did, was to reach people like me, those rigid, rational types who think they know it all. Turns out that they don't. And to try and reach them through true stories, because I think that's one of the best ways to get through to people. And there aren't actually a lot of practices in the book just for that reason. I wanted to try and induct people into that experience. I had to look up inductive. I'm just going to admit that and be vulnerable. And it says right. to bring about or bring in. That's the meaning of inductive. That's very interesting. So you're basically trying to get them to have a sense of the story without any tips or application per se. It's like feeling the story. It's like bringing the story into your energy field. It's like experiencing the energy behind the words. You know, I think sometimes if you ever listen to a great poet and the poet is reading the poetry live, and you allow yourself to be swept up into the energy behind the poetry rather than just the words themselves, you can have a whole different experience. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I'm going to say I never had a baby, but I, I did write six books and that kind of feels like having six babies. <laughs> <laughs> 
(laughs) Every one of them has to be birthed and it's, it's sometimes it's just hell. What was your experience about writing the book? Well, let's see. I enjoyed writing it. It actually wasn't that difficult to write because they're all short stories. I have have immense admiration for somebody that cranks out a 400 page fiction novel. (laughs) And are they in some kind of chronological order or how did you order them? Because sometimes that's the hardest. I did put them in chronological order only because the publisher and the editor said, John, I see what you're trying to do because I tried to make each story stand alone. I wanted the kind of book that somebody could just randomly open to a story because the typical story is only one to three pages long in this book. And they can do that. But they said, you know, you're going to have to tie some of these stories together. You're going to have to make them chronological because you sometimes refer to your wife a few times. And so I did have to go through, make them chronological, tie some of the stories together. But I still think they can be they can be read individually as well. The other thing I learned from it was uh, I have enormous respect for editors. Man, that's a hard job. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I just like, I'm going to kiss their feet. I can't imagine the wide variety of books. And like, I think my book was simple to edit because it was a bunch of short stories. I can't imagine, like I said, a 400 page fiction novel and having to, you know, rearrange this and put this in a different place and tell more about this. And I don't really understand what I say here. Editing takes time. Even if your book is fairly well written, which I think mine was. That's fantastic advice. (laughs) All right. So just say the name of your book one more time. The book is called The Synchronicity of Love, Stories That Heal, Transform, and Awaken. John, this was such a pleasure. Thank you for sharing from your heart. Uh, Thank you so much, Ronnie. I really appreciate you inviting me to be on your show. It was a joy. Thank you for listening today. If you're curious about intuitive coaching or a past life reading, please visit breatheloveandmagic.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate it or write a review and subscribe to never miss an episode and share the magic with a friend. This is Ronnie and Ryan wishing you love and magic. Love and magic.